You can be seated. Man, I get excited every time I come to church to hang out with you guys. Y'all are amazing. Well, um, we're in a season right now in the church calendar called Advent. And Advent, most churches that celebrate this, there's four weeks leading up to the day that Jesus was born that we celebrate Christmas. And um, what they do is those four weeks, they light four different candles. So this week, the candle that they would light would be called the candle of Bethlehem. And we're going to light that, and I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what Advent really means is it's a reflection on the first coming of Jesus when he came 2,000 years ago to that little town of Bethlehem, born in a manger. But it's also an expectation, an anticipation for when Jesus is coming back again, his second coming. How many know Jesus is coming back again? That's why we gather together, because we know Jesus is coming back. And so Advent is about reflecting and anticipating Jesus' return. Talking about, thinking about how he came as the light of the world. And, and, and how these shepherds, they were waiting out in their fields. They were doing their job, and all of a sudden this angel comes to talk to him. Now, our church always does a Christmas play. Ever since I was born, we would do these Christmas plays, and we would turn the stage into the town of Bethlehem. Next weekend, when you come here, this stage will be turned into a complete you know, setup of the town of Bethlehem. And you'll see the manger, and you'll hear the, the, the angels and see the story. As a kid, I used to love these plays because I would try out to act in these plays. And I remember um, the desire as a little kid really wanting to play the baby Jesus every year. And they were like, you're getting too old to play baby Jesus. <laughs> At age five, they were like, you won't fit in the manger. I know, but I just want to be baby Jesus. Please, my dad's the pastor. Please put me in the manger. And, Sorry, you're not going to be baby Jesus. And so I remember trying out for Joseph. They were like, you're too old to play. You're too young to play Joseph. You need a beard. You can put a beard on my face. I promise I could, I could do the Joseph character. No, you're not going to be Joseph. And I remember having this conversation with our directors and just kind of, you know, wanting a main part. I wanted to be the, one of the main characters, either Joseph or Mary or baby Jesus or one of the angels, you know, one of the main parts, the innkeeper that gets to say something. I wanted a speaking part. And they always cast me every year as one of the shepherds. And I thought that was kind of demeaning. I was like, man, I'm not a main character. The shepherds, you know, all you see is their back in the play. They're watching the angels and all they, you know, they, they just show you their back and then they get to run down to the manger. And so I decided if I'm going to play a shepherd, I'm going to be like an over-the-top shepherd because... There might be a scout in the audience that's looking for the next celebrity in Hollywood, and they might see me as a shepherd boy and pick me up, put me on the next Home Alone number four, you know, or something like that. And so I remember, you know, just going all out in the play and being over the top. And if you were to go back and watch, not DVDs, but VHS uh, tapes, you know, of the 90s of Victory's Christmas plays, you would see this one shepherd boy. And, and even embarrassingly, even in the e early 2000s, I was the same character, over the top, overcompensating. I was that shepherd boy that when the, when the cameras came in on like baby Jesus, I was like, <laughs> you know, trying to do all my expressions like, you know, I wanted to be picked up by a scout. So I was giving all my expressions like crazy uh, over the manger. And one night my dad sat down with me. He's like, Paul, um, the directors, they kind of talked to me about how how you're kind of being over the top, acting, you know, maybe you're kind of stealing the spotlight from baby Jesus. And um, the directors came to my dad. They were like, Pastor, we know he's your son, but 
you got to tell him he's got to calm down because he's trying, to, he's trying to make it about him. And that was my problem. I was trying to make the Christmas play about me. And it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. And my dad sat down with me. He said, Paul, let me tell you about, let me tell you about the role of the shepherds. And he, and he made it so clear to me that after that, it kind of took me a while, but it started sinking in that the role of the shepherds is not to make the story about them, but to point all eyes to what the story is really all about. And, and he gave me this lecture about, um, you know, in the Academy Awards, they give out this one award called Best uh, Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actress. I was like, I see where you're going with this. You're saying that my job is just to support the main character. He said, exactly. And, and the award that they give, it's such a unique award. In fact, you know, watching last night, there was a movie on called It's a Wonderful Life. Anybody ever see that movie? The movie is about a main character named George. But one of the characters in the movie is a guy named Clarence, who's an angel. Clarence, his job is to do so good at his part that George looks better. That at the end of the movie, you fall a little bit more in love with the character of George because of what happens in his life. But what makes that happen is the supporting actors around him. And sometimes we forget that we're really just supporting characters in this story. See, the truth is we're all really the part of the shepherd. None of us are really the, the, the object of Christmas. It's not about how many presents we can get or how much attention we can get. It's about what we put and what we give towards people seeing Jesus in us and through us. That they need to see Jesus, not us. And so here the angel shows up to the shepherds. And I want us to look back, verse 8. It says that they were watching in the fields. These ordinary guys, which makes it a little bit more like us, they, we're all ordinary people. No one in here is really like, you know, maybe you are a celebrity, but most of us in the room are just people. We're just kind of, you know, doing life. We're going through the routines of life. We're doing work. We're being with family. We're going to our job, going to school, doing our best to, to make the most of our life. That's what these shepherds were doing. They were just doing the routines of life. And I love how God shows up not on like the awesome days, but he shows up on the ordinary days. And he shows up in an extraordinary way. Not just one angel, but a host of angels shows up to these common people. I, I, I remember being cast as that shepherd, feeling sometimes not very valuable. Feeling like maybe that scripture about the Savior being born for me wasn't really applicable to me. That, you know, I was not the funniest guy in the class. I wasn't the smartest. I wasn't the most athletic. I was just an average student. I was an average person in my class. I blended in a lot of the times. But I remember that story that my dad would talk about oftentimes and even just reading the scriptures and realizing Jesus came for ordinary people. He came for common people. Yes, he came for the celebrities, but he also came for the shepherds. In fact, those were the guys he showed up to and sent a whole host of angels that no one else got the same type of experience like the shepherds did. And so we lean in and we're looking at this story in the scripture and it says that the angel saw their fear and said, don't be afraid. And I think that's the message that the angel's saying to us today is don't be afraid. I know there's a lot of reasons to fear. Back in those days, there was crazy chaos going on in Israel. There was civil unrest. There was protests going on against the Roman soldiers because there was all kinds of crazy things happening. The Roman Empire was imposing new laws on, on all the Jews, and there was anger. There was like civil war about to break out. And it sounds similar to what we're experiencing and seeing in our own world today. You know, I was looking on the news this last week, and some of the snapshots that are happening across the world are just crazy. Here's one picture recently. This, this was just four days ago in Kenya. 
These men were killed just working out, out, outside simply because they weren't Muslims. And, and some extreme Muslims showed up and just killed them, just slaughtered them. That was just four days ago. That, a lot of these stories get lost in the news. And then also this last week was World uh, Awareness of AIDS Day. They had a day where we uh, looked at it and acknowledged the epidemic of AIDS, that 39 million people have died of AIDS. And 1.3 million people here in the United States have AIDS. And, and just, just the knowledge of that, the understanding that we live in a broken world. And then in Rome, here is a protest going on between the government and the people, this anger that's breaking out just three days ago. And then obviously we know right here in our own nation there's been protests happening in New York City, in Washington, D.C., in Los Angeles, in Ferguson. And we realize there's unrest. There's this need and this cry for peace. We need peace. How many of you guys would believe that we need peace right now in our world? We need an answer, a solution. And the truth is, it's Jesus. This is what Christmas is all about. John chapter 1 said that Jesus came into the world as the light in the darkness. Prophets foretold centuries before this happened. Isaiah and Micah. They said a, a Savior would come to Bethlehem. And He would bring peace. And He would bring justice. And He would save people from their sins. And so the shepherds, they experienced this moment. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Even though there's tons of reasons to be afraid, don't be afraid. I bring you good news. Jesus didn't come to bring depression, condemnation, shame, and guilt. He came to bring peace, freedom, joy, love, salvation, grace, mercy. He came to make us right with God. He said, I've come to give you good news of great joy. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born to you this day. So God meets us right where we're at. He meets us in the middle of our pain. He meets us in the middle of disappointment. He meets us on Mondays. He meets us on Wednesdays. Not just on perfect days, but on bad days. And he says, I've come to bring you peace. And so there's two roles that the shepherds play. The shepherds, number one, are to receive the gift that God gave them. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down. That the role of the shepherds is to receive the gift. That's you and me. The angels came to say, there's a gift waiting for you in Bethlehem. Now, the good news is today that that gift is not waiting for us in Bethlehem. That gift is waiting for us at the door of our hearts, knocking every day. All we have to do is open and let the gift in. What's the gift? Who's the gift? Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Who's the gift? Jesus. So, number one, the role of the shepherds was receive the gift that God was giving. Jesus. Because in Jesus, we find hope. We find freedom. We find joy. We find peace. You won't find peace in your own ability. You won't find joy in your own uh, uh, experiences of happiness. That joy is truly only found in Jesus. So number one, the shepherds were to receive the gift. And then number two, share it with others. Spread the word. Spread what you've seen. I remember at ORU, I took this class in marketing um, where we studied how businesses will target certain people groups that they know are going to spread the word. And, and this book that we read talked about the people that businesses love to find are sneezers. And I was like, what does that mean, sneezers? Have you ever been maybe around someone who just wouldn't stop sneezing like, hoo And then three seconds later, hoo And you're like, I'm getting tired of saying God bless you. Like, seriously? Start sneezing somewhere else. But the, the problem with sneezers also is that they, they, sometimes they don't cover their mouth, and so germs are just getting everywhere, right? 
The book talked about how sneezers in business, when they experience something they like, they sneeze it to everyone around. They spread it. Like they, they find a deal at Target and then they go back to their friends and they're like, you've got to see, you've got to go to Target and get this deal. What did they do? They just sneezed the product. And so, uh, uh, or they just tasted a, a new restaurant in town in Tulsa that opened up that they really like. They go around family and friends and they sneeze it to everyone. Those are the kind of people businesses love to get because if they can get the sneezers, they're going to get their friends and their family members. Well, God was looking at these shepherds and he was saying, this isn't just for you. I want you to sneeze it. I want you to tell the world. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain. You guys sound beautiful this morning. So God wanted these shepherds to talk about it, to spread. He was saying, hey, I know you love this. I know you received the gift. You saw the angels, the encounter, the experience. It was wonderful, wasn't it? Go tell people about it. You see, here's the temptation for a lot of Christians. We have an encounter with God. We have an experience with Jesus. And then we get a holy huddle. Us four, no more. Don't tell anyone about the deal we just saw at Target. We don't want anyone getting that deal. Don't tell anyone about the restaurant we ate at. We want it, we want it empty every time we go there so that we get first seating. Right? And so we, we, we don't sneeze it. We don't spread it. We don't tell anyone about it. And so, or don't tell anyone about what we've experienced. But see, guys... We're called to build his church. We're called to reach the lost. God's heart beats for people, people, people. You didn't get saved just so you could have an awesome encounter experience for yourself. You got saved so, yes, you could receive the gift and then share it with others. To follow Jesus is to talk about Jesus. Is Jesus worth talking about? Is he worth sneezing about, spreading about? I don't mean for you to go and sneeze all, all the, everywhere. But what I'm talking about is, have we maybe discounted or maybe thought this really isn't that big of a deal? Guys, Jesus is a bigger deal than anything we've experienced in the last year, in the last week, in the last years of our life. He's the biggest deal. And our job is not just to keep it to ourselves. Our job is to share it with others. So the two points of a shepherd is one, receive it. Two, share it with others. Matthew 10 verse 8 says, freely you have received, freely give. He wasn't talking about money. He was talking about the kingdom of God. Freely you have received the healing of God, the salvation of God, the, the, the glory of God. Now share it with others. In fact, I want to throw up the message whole version of Matthew 5 through 8. Throw up that whole version. It's, uh, it says, Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. Don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. God, he said, go to the lost, confused people right here in your own neighborhoods. So it starts right here. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. How many of you guys are grateful for the Holy Spirit? I know I am. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and he will make you awesome Christians in your own service. He will, have, he, he will make you have these awesome Holy Ghost meetings just for Christians. No, he says, he will make you witnesses. When he comes upon you, you will be witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. witnesses. 
So when we receive the Holy Spirit, it's not just for us to have some awesome moments in service and, you know, fall out and enjoy it all. I'm all for that. But I'm also for us fulfilling the scriptures. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, there's boldness to witness about Jesus. That there's boldness to talk to people about God. This last Friday, I was at the nursing home, and we were uh, talking to these people about God's love. And this one lady, she just wouldn't have it. Like, she didn't want to hear about it. And she was like, yeah, 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 well, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I was like, ma'am, you, you don't understand. Like, we're here because we've encountered the love of God, and we can't keep it to ourselves. We got to spread it. We got to share it. God loves you. She kind of rolled her eyes. Yeah, whatever. And I wish I could tell you that at the end of this moment with her, that I led her to Jesus. But sometimes we're just one conversation in, in the middle of all the encounters they need before they finally open up to Jesus. The Billy Graham Association says that it takes 19 times for someone to finally open up to Jesus. That's average. Now, some of us, it, it was three times or one time or four times. Or maybe we grew up in a family where we received it. But out there in the world, sometimes it can take 19 times for someone to finally open their heart to Jesus. You might be number 14 out of the 19 times that they need before they open their heart to Jesus. The main thing is don't miss your moment. Don't miss that conversation. When the Holy Spirit or God is kind of urging you, say something, say something. You say, no, 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 that's, that's just the food inside my stomach. God wouldn't ask me to witness to people. God wouldn't really tell me to go and talk to a stranger about Jesus. Well, who would? What would? It is God. It is the Holy Spirit that's urging us, talk to your family. I remember our family was at a gas station. We were on the way to Texarkana. This was years ago. We were going down to see my mom's uh, parents. And, and at the gas station, this man was um, filling up his cup with some drink. And there was something, uh, you could just tell this guy, he, he was not right with God. Let's just put it like that. You could just tell some things weren't right. My dad reached out to him and said, sir, where are you at with God? My dad was bold. He just like... Didn't, just didn't beat around the bush, just went right for it. The man looked at him like, who are you? And uh, my dad said, I just, I know that I'm supposed to ask you this question. How, how are things between you and God? The man said, not good. He said, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble right now. Owe a lot of people some money. And uh, I've been doing things I know I shouldn't do in relationships I shouldn't be in. And my dad said, well, do you want to get right with God right now? And the man looked at him and said, Okay. And right in that moment, my dad led him in a prayer to receive Jesus and to rededicate his life to God. That's awesome. But here's the crazier thing. About five, it was five to seven years later, we were driving down to Texarkana again. And we pulled up to the same gas station in Paris, Texas. And when we, where, where was it? Clarksville, Clarksville, Arkansas, Texas. Clarksville, Texas. We pull up to the same gas station and there that man is. How crazy is that? The same man that like seven years ago, my dad had led to the Lord. And we noticed him. That was even crazier that our family were like, that's the guy you led to the Lord like seven years ago. And my dad goes, that is the guy. And when my dad got out of the van, walked towards him, the man's eyes got big. He recognized him. And my dad said, how are things going between you and God? He said, you recognize me, don't you? He said, I sure do. And you know, the truth was, the man had gotten back into some trouble again. Things weren't right at that moment. 
And, you know, the, the core conviction that my dad had was we never give up on somebody. If there's breath in their lungs, we never give up on leading someone to Christ. If there's a family member in your life who keeps rejecting God, keeps going back to their old lifestyle, never give up on them. If there's breath in their lungs, there's still hope for them to repent and get right with God. And my dad, he talked to the man again and said, let's get things right right now between you and God. Let him back in that prayer. See, we've got, a, we've got a mandate from Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20 says, Go into all the world and make disciples. So following Jesus means that we are evangelists. We are witnesses. We're to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. How do you do it? By initiating conversation, talking to people about Jesus, witnessing to them, asking them, can I pray for you? And I know sometimes we kind of back away from that. We're like, we don't want to be those kind of Christians. I'm not saying you do it with like anger or boldness or hellfire and brimstone or, you know, all the ways that turn people off. I'm saying be that sincere, genuine Christian that sits down with somebody and loves them enough to talk to them about Jesus. Be that sincere, genuine Christian that doesn't wait till spring break to go on a missions trip to tell people about Jesus, but starts in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Starts in Catoosa, starts in Skyatook, starts in Sepulpa, starts in Owasso and Broken Arrow, Big Speed Jinx. See, Acts 1.8 says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. Let me show you a map of, of what that looks like. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Throw that map picture up, Eugene. This is Jerusalem. He was saying, start right here in this, you know, 30-mile radius, 20-mile radius. Start right here. Then let's go to the Judean hillside. Let's, let's go, let's, you know, take it 60 miles out. Then let's go to Samaria. Let's go all over this, this big state region around us. Then let's go to the ends of the earth. So what would that look like for us right here? Well, let me throw up another map. This, that small little circle, if you can see it up there, is Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then the, the next circle is Oklahoma. The next circle is the United States. So we're circling right there. Let me zoom in on Tulsa. These are the surrounding areas around Tulsa. If we kind of drew like a 60-mile radius around Tulsa, we would be looking at these areas that we're, we're to reach out to and witness and win to Jesus. And you might say, well, Paul... We're kind of, you know, there's a lot of people in this church, and, and, and I don't know if we need to bring more people in. I'm kind of comfortable with the group that we got here right now. What you're saying is, I'm comfortable with people going to hell. I'm comfortable with kids that aren't right with God not getting right with God. I'm comfortable with teenagers and young adults not coming to our youth group because I think our youth group's too big. I'm comfortable with, with, with friends and family members that I know not ever coming to church, not ever getting right with God. And I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but we're never going to be big enough as a church if there's lost people in our neighborhoods. We will always have more room to grow. As long as there's lost people in this city, lost people in this state, we will be that church that reaches out beyond our four uh, groups of friends, before, beyond the people that we know. We're to witness and tell them about Jesus. And you say, well, well why? Because that's what Jesus did. He sent the 12 out. He said, go and start right here and win people to the Lord. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Cast out demons, heal the sick. Most of all, lead them into salvation. Lead them into faith in God. So how do we start right here? And do we really make a difference? There's a story about this, this little girl that was walking the beach right after a big storm had come over the ocean and all these starfish had been flung out on the beach. This little girl was walking down the beach, and 
She was bending down and picking up these starfish and throwing them back into the ocean. This older man saw her from a distance and walked towards her and he said, what are you doing? She said, well, the storm has taken all these starfish out onto the beach. And if they don't go back into the ocean today, when the sun comes out, they're going to die. So unless I throw them back in, then, then they won't live. And so I'm throwing them back in the ocean. And the older man kind of laughs and looks at her and says, girl, there's, there's like thousands of starfish out here on this beach. I'm sorry, honey, but I don't think you're going to make much of a difference. And she picks up one starfish and throws it as hard as she can in the ocean. And she says, it makes a difference for that one. And sometimes I think we forget that we can make a difference on one person. And one person that we make a difference on could make a difference on another person. And there's a scientific term called the butterfly effect. That one small change can make a massive ripple effect across time. One small action can make a massive change across the universe. That the flapping of butterfly wings thousands of miles away can be part of a hurricane that comes on the other side of the world. That's, that's the scientific reasoning. They've proved that it's true. And, and I remember hearing this story about this guy named Jim. Jim had graduated college. He was on his way into to the military. He had packed all of his stuff up into his car, and he stopped at a gas station to fill up with gas. And he saw this young guy that he remembered from high school filling up with gas on, on the other side of the pump. And he said, hey, Billy. Yeah, Billy Joe. How are things going? And Billy Joe said, well, I just graduated high school. So I'm getting ready to go play football at Southern Arkansas University. And Jim Davis said, well, I want to give you a gift for graduation. Let me see what I got. So he started digging through his car. It was all packed with all his stuff. He found an old radio, and he handed it to Billy Joe Doherty. He said, I want to bless you with this, this radio, and just want to say congratulations for graduating. And my dad was so moved by that generosity. He had tears. He kind of looked away and wiped him and said, hey, hey Jim, uh, my, my mom's making lunch. You should come over and eat with us today. So Jim joined them for lunch. And as they were sitting there at the table eating at Grand Grand's house, Jim looked at my dad and said, Billy Joe, I know you've gone to church most of your life. I know you're a kind, good guy. But have you ever truly been born again? Have you ever really surrendered your life to Jesus? My dad knew in his heart he hadn't. He had gone to church, but he never really made a decision to receive the gift of salvation, to let Jesus truly be Lord of his life, to be born again. And Jim said, would you like to make that decision today? Little did Jim know, Jim wouldn't see him for 20 years. He didn't really know what happened to Billy Joe after that prayer. That Billy Joe went on to touch millions of people's lives because of this banker, who's a banker today, stopping to witness to one person. You have no clue what your influence might do. I want the band to come up. Because right now, you're thinking of someone in your life that needs Jesus. You know someone, a family member, a friend, a co-worker that's not right with God. Maybe they say, yeah, I go to church. Maybe they say, yeah, 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 I'm saved. But you know they're not really living right. You know there's stuff going on in their life that's not good. And your heart breaks for them. Or does it? Does it? Because to be a follower of Jesus is to have the same heartbeat of Jesus. His heart beats for people, 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 people. His heart beats for people. And there's people in your life that need what you have. 
The role of the shepherds is receive the gift of God and spread it. Don't make life about you. Don't make a huddle just for your Christian circle of friends. Only conservatives here. We're just going to build a haven for our group of friends. No, no, no. Reach out into the world to people that are nothing like you and bring them into the circle. Bring them into the message. Invite them to know this Jesus that you talk about. Invite them to feel the hope and the peace and the joy and the freedom from addictions and the freedom from depression. But see, before you can give it, you have to receive it. Sometimes we can sit in church for a long time like my dad and not truly have received the gift of salvation, the gift of hope and peace and joy. My friend Trey... He was coming to church and got a hold of this message. God was stirring his heart to talk to someone at work about Jesus. Trey, I want you to come up. and Trey, I want you to bring your friend, Colt. This story is so powerful because Trey heard this message about witnessing. See, every year, we need to think about this message. This is kind of a yearly thing to remind ourselves we have a mandate to witness, a mandate to evangelize. There's people that need Jesus. Trey heard this word. He, he got it. And he realized there's someone at my work that needs to hear it. Trey, tell him what happened. And then, Colt, I want you to share the other side of it. Uh, so, yeah, uh, pretty much what happened is uh, I met him through a, a job that I worked at a couple years ago. Uh, worked in the office, sat in a cubicle next to him, and, um, you know, we just built a relationship and uh, became friends on Facebook, and I would just pay, post stuff like about church, about 3D, like our young adult ministry, and he would, he would, he would, be, he would able, be able to see, like, in my life, congruent with what I was posting, there was something different about me, and it just opened up a door for him to inquire and ask about church and he messaged me on Facebook talking about that he wanted to come to church with me one time and it was actually a couple times where he was a little bit kind of scared about it it took him a while to actually come and he just reached out to me he knew the offer was there and then finally one day he came to church and I'll let you guys hear the rest from him okay so yeah so basically uh, what was different about Trey is at work you know we were in a real hectic environment and it was real crazy real stressful. A lot of people were really just kind of up in arms all the time, and Trey was just always real cool, you know, real cool acting. Uh, nothing really got to him, you know. He was just always uh, just a lot of peace and a lot of joy all the time in that environment, no matter what was going on. And um, with me, you know, I had just come out of college, and I was hurting, and I was going through a lot of stuff. And what Trey did really is, you know, I, I saw him witnessing to a lady that we worked with. Um, they would do kind of a Bible study thing, but he knew from me verbalizing it that I was not open to it. Um, I didn't want to hear about it or, or, or be a part of it or anything like that. So what Trey did really was he established a friendship with me. He didn't hit me in the face with the gospel. He kind of built this friendship and became my friend based on common interests and um, um, things that we like to do uh, the same. So basically what happened was I ended up leaving that job and kind of fell on some hard times and things like that. And Trey kept reaching out to me, kept saying what was going on. I said, like, what is up with this guy? Why does he care about me so much? I don't even, I don't even really know this guy. We just work together. What's the big deal, you know? And um, um, eventually, you know, I kind of broke down. I was like, man, I, I kind of want to come to church, kind of see what it's all about. So one thing Trey did is he met me at the front door every day for, I think, six weeks um, and walked me to a seat, sat down with me, uh, prayed for me. Um, man. And really just uh, an act of, uh, of selflessness. Trey didn't have to care about me, but he saw what I was going through. He had compassion. He knew what I needed. I didn't know what I needed, and he just kept on and worked out two and a half, two and a half years later, and I'm a completely different guy, man. So. And Colt met his wife at the church. Yeah, 3D. Yeah. And they're married now, and Trey got to be in the wedding, and 
got to be part of, you got baptized yeah. about a year ago. Yeah, Trey was part too. of that. Yeah. Man, what an awesome story. Will you give Trey and Colt a big hand? It's powerful. You never know what your influence might do. Before we end today, I want you to see this video because I think it clearly portrays all of us and the influence we have and our impact on people around us. Check this out. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. Now is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James. He was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. It's powerful. It's powerful. You never know whose life you're going to touch. 
Trey, you're probably going to meet people down the road that you have no clue were touched by someone that Colt touched. And all of us in this room, there's people that we've impacted with the love of God and shared the message, witnessed. We've been bold about it, but we've been genuine. And I think what Colt said is so true is that we've got to do this in a loving way. We've got to establish those friendships, those conversations, and then not be afraid to cast the net, to tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. You should come to church with me. We can invite him to the Traveler's production this upcoming weekend. See, when Jesus came, he said, I'm the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, now you're the light of the world. You're the city on a hill. Don't put your light under a basket. Don't become indifferent or, or, or complacent or ignoring the needs of others around you. Shine so that people can know that there is a God. There is a Savior. And this Savior died on a cross for them. And that they can have peace. They can have hope. They can have joy. And so this week, my challenge for you is be the light. Spread the word. Receive what God's given you and share it with others. At the end of your row are these Christmas traveler cards. I want us to pass them down. Everybody take like five to ten cards. If you want to, take a stack. Take, take a few. And this week, pray about, keep it in your car, keep it in your wallet, in your purse, or maybe at your apartment, at your home, at your dorm room, and pray about, man, who could I hand this to? Who could I give this to? Who could I share Jesus with this week? Maybe God's been tugging on your heart about people or friends or coworkers that you've kind of given up on. People that you know need God, they need Jesus. And maybe this message is kind of reviving hope again, saying, you know, I shouldn't give up on that person. I shouldn't give up on that son, on that daughter, on that friend, on that coworker. I need to tell them, I need to love on them, I need to share with them Jesus.